0: It was just last year that I decided uh, with the session that we would pause where, wherever we were in our sermon series on the first Sunday of October to have a special sermon about uh, our, the, the role that giving uh, plays in our life as disciples. And really that's part of a broader effort to be much more intentional about the way we speak about giving in the church. Uh, At the end of January, we send out what we call the tax letter. This is the letter that tells you what you gave the previous year, calendar year. For some of you, it makes a difference in the way that you itemize your deductions. For others, it doesn't make any difference at all. That's not something that you pay attention to, but that's our opportunity to give a general thank you to everyone. In February, we send out a note to people that we don't have a record that they've given anything to the church. Uh, now, that might not be that because they didn't give anything, but maybe they just give anonymously or they just give cash. But we send it out just to say, hey, if maybe you're not giving, would we please have the honor of your partnership in the work that God has called us to? And then in June, we send out a note to the entire congregation. We say, hey, whenever you're out of town, what we notice is that giving dips. And part of that's because some of us don't have a regular habit of giving or we don't write out our checks or we don't have something set up as an automatic deduction it's just we remember it when we're actually in church so in june we say hey would you please set up an automatic way of giving money to the church during the summer so that if you if you're out of town uh, your gifts are still being received by the church and then in october in just a few weeks we're going to send you out a note that says for the last 10 months or last nine months This is what we show you've given the church. Now, partly that's just for you to check to say, are you on track with what you want to give to the church? And also that's an ability for us to remind you that like many other churches and like many other nonprofit organizations, we bring in a fairly significant amount, percentage of our support in the last three months of the calendar year, October, November, and especially December, that year in giving. So that's kind of our plan of how we talk about giving in the church. Uh, But I've got to be honest, it is super awkward to talk about money in the church, right? It's hard for us to, to be somewhat intimidated even by the topic of money. How many of you, a couple of you sent me the news story, but how many of you heard that story back in July? about the preacher in Brooklyn who was in the middle of his service and thieves came and stole $1 million worth of jewelry from him and his wife. I have so many questions about that, right? (laughs) But certainly it sets up the cultural stereotype of greedy pastors I've told you the story before of our neighbor, Mrs. Houston, across the street, was visiting with her uh, a few years ago, and she was telling me stories of her childhood, and she said, Eric, did I ever tell you the story about the chicken pastors? I said, the chicken pastors? What's that, Mrs. Houston? She said, well, you know, my grandma would always feed the ministers on Sunday uh, after church, and they would come over to our house. And I always knew which pastors were genuine and which pastors were fakes by the way that they got their food. The chicken pastors were the ones who got all the best pieces of chicken for themselves first. Gosh, it's hard to talk about money. My family buys groceries. We pay our mortgage. We educate our kids because of what you give to the church. That makes me nervous to talk a little bit about church, about money into church. I also get nervous sometimes because I recognize that some of you are in a situation where you can't give what you would like to give to the church. And there's all kinds of different reasons for that, but you're in a situation where you're not able to give. Some of you have even come and talked to me about that. And part of what I share with you is that this might be a season in your life when you are actually receiving more from the church than you're, than you're giving to the church. But I don't want you to walk out of here feeling guilty or discouraged because we're talking about this. And also, just really frankly, if you're a guest this morning, I'm really worried about offending you. Uh, how many of you have maybe stayed away from the church because of frustration with the church, and now you finally bowed to the pressure of a family or friend that has brought you to church. And of course, the thing that the guy's talking about is money. Well, I hope that we should all be happy that actually this sermon is not going to be about money. I'm not going to talk about tithing or offerings. Instead, I want to go upstream from the awkwardness of talking about money and I want to talk instead about gratitude. Gratitude is not just a feeling of thankfulness. Gratitude is an expression, is an action that expresses appreciation. Let me say that again. Gratitude is not just a feeling of thankfulness. Gratitude is an action that expresses appreciation. And I think that Colossians 3.17 captures this interplay between feeling and action. Whatever you do, that's the action, in word or deed, give thanks to God. That's the feeling. Now, you might do things out of gratitude like give money or give resources to the church. Or maybe God has put you in a place where your doing is your job, and you are called to go out into the workplace and do your work, whatever that is, partly out of gratitude to God. Now, you're serving your employer, you're making sure that you are providing for your family, your friends, but in everything that you do, even your work, you're called to do that out of thanksgiving and gratitude to God. Or maybe it's your family, the way that you engage with your family and your friends. The words that you say, the kind of support that you offer, the the time that you spend with them, even that needs to be bathed in gratitude toward God. So let me ask you this. Colossians 3.17 is a command. Whatever you do in word or or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Think a moment about your life this last week, this last month, this last year. Is that true of you? Can you say that in whatever you've done, in word or deed, you've done it in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father? Just asking the question answers it, doesn't it? Unfortunately, large parts of our lives are dominated not by gratitude, not by thankfulness, but by grumbling, by frustration, by disappointment. And this law, this imperative, comes to us as a reminder that sometimes we need to train our hearts back toward gratitude. I hope that you realize that Paul doesn't think that gratitude comes naturally as a positive personality trait to some people, and other people are just ungrateful. All of us need help responding to the situations and circumstances of our life with gratitude. And this command, this imperative, follows a promise. It follows an indicative. These are words that we've been using the last couple of weeks. I hope you remember them. This command, this imperative, follows a promise or the indicative. And that promise is that something has happened to you. You are different than you were outside of Jesus. Because of Jesus, you are different, and that means that your actions can also be different. If you have your Bibles with you, we didn't print this, but I want you to take a look with me. Go back a few verses to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. The entire ground of Paul's ethical argument here is that you are, quote unquote, in Christ. He says that you have been raised with him to the right hand of God. And that means that you can now do something that you couldn't before. And that's to seek the things that are above. What does that mean? What does it mean to seek the things that are above? Friends, it means that you are not dominated by the same desires, needs, or interests that your friends and neighbors are. When you approach a circumstance or a situation in life, you should look at it differently than a non-Christian, than an unbeliever should look at it. You should understand that God is at work in you and around you and through you, ultimately to renew the cosmos, but even where there is danger and darkness and despair, you can have trust and confidence that God is at work. That's what it means to seek the things that are above. You can go on in chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says, you've died. How, I mean, that's, that's a declarative statement, right? Right? There's there's no difference out of that. You have died and your life is hidden now with Christ in God. You are a different person in Christ. You can't get away from it because you are dead. Your old self is dead. He goes on in verse 9, he says, you put on the new self now. And that new self is being renewed in the image of its creator. In verse 12, he says, you are God's holy self chosen and beloved ones that's who you are and it's because of this it's because of god's work for you that you can fulfill this command so when i ask you this question of verse 17 does this describe you and we all have to say no don't shrink back in shame Don't shrink back in shame. Don't shrug your shoulders in resignation and go, well, that's just who I am. I guess I'm never going to be a grateful person. I'm never going to be able to fulfill this command of God. The right thing to do when you come up short in God's law is to remember who you are. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember that you are a different person in Christ than you are outside of Christ. Gratitude is a fruit of God's work in you and through you. Now, ultimately, any time that you are faced with obeying God's law Or doing something that is difficult and challenging. Maybe you, I mean, we're in October right now, and back in January, maybe you said, you know, this year, it's finally going to be the year. I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And then you hit, like, Leviticus or Judges, and your plan just went down the toilet. (laughs) Or maybe you said, you know, every week I get these prayer requests from the church. I'm going to make sure that 20 minutes a day I pray through those prayer requests for the church. And, you know, now you don't even remember half the people's names. Maybe there's something that you've committed yourself to doing. Maybe it's even regularly giving to the church that you've stumbled in, that you've had trouble fulfilling. Ultimately, anything that we do in fulfilling God's law, following God's law, it's going to take a little bit of effort. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It's going to be something that you have to give yourself to. You have to train your hearts, and the same is true for gratitude. You have to train your hearts toward gratitude. But here's what's wonderful. Is God doesn't just give you a command and then fold his arms and wait for you to fail. Instead, he gives you the command and then he actually enables you to fulfill that command. And one of the ways that he enables you and helps you train your heart toward gratitude is what we're doing right here. This worship service. Every Sunday, we have an opportunity to reset our hearts toward thankfulness and gratitude. And it starts at the very beginning. It starts even with what we call what we're doing here today. What? (laughs) Eric, what are you talking about? Do you know what we call this? How many of you recognize that we have a particular phrase that we use for what we're doing on Sundays? Maybe, maybe you didn't know it. Turn to page one in your bulletins. If you look at the top of page one, we call it the divine service. It's not just a worship service. It's certainly not a worship experience. Help us, God. (laughs) No, this is the divine service because that means that we are being served by God. Friends, before you offer anything to God, he offers himself to you. Before you bring anything in obedience to God, He calls you into His presence to give to you. We gather in His name. We are reconstituted as God's people after an entire week that we have spent listening to other voices, pursuing other gods, loving other idols. And God still, in His mercy and grace, calls us into this place. And He speaks. And through his word, we are reminded not only of who we are, but of whose we are. He fills us with his spirit. He sows his word into our hearts. We feast on Christ and all of the benefits of his life, death and resurrection at the supper. We leave hearing that last good word of benediction you remember from Hebrews chapter 13. Having become recipients of God's work for us, having been filled up by God, we are in turn enabled and called to pour out our lives in word or deed, whatever we do in the name of the Lord Jesus and to out of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. Now, uh, Here's the problem. If you are anything like me, sometimes it doesn't even wait until I hit the pavement of the parking lot that I have forgotten all of it. That I'm already shifting into a different mindset. And this is where heart training is more than our just coming here. It also means that we have to make certain choices. We have to make choices about how we're going to live, about how we're going to engage the world around us. Maybe it isn't hitting the parking lot. Maybe it's the difficult job that you've got to log into on Monday morning, or the challenging relationship, or the difficult roommate, the ungrateful child. Maybe it's sickness in your life that you're having to wrestle with, a bank account that never seems quite full. Whatever the disappointment is that you are facing in your life, friends, choose gratitude. Choose to face it with gratitude. Choose to engage your life in both word and deed, not with complaining, not with dramatic sighing. <gasps> We've all done it, not by manipulating your spouse to get what you want, not by guilt-tripping your kids so they know how hard life really is, but with thankfulness, choose to engage your life with gratitude and thankfulness. Do you remember last week as we started in the story of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, and we looked at Naomi, and Naomi couldn't see God at work in her life. In fact, anytime she thought about God, she thought about him as someone who was against her, who was afflicting her, who was making her life even worse, God was her enemy. And yet, God was at work in ways that she couldn't see. In ways that she couldn't understand to secure her safety. To make sure that Ruth had a husband. To make sure that Israel had a king. And to make sure that the world had a redeemer. What if instead of bitterness, Naomi had turned and said, I don't understand it, but I choose gratitude. I choose to engage this hardship in my life with thanksgiving. Right now, today, in our church, there are people, even in this room, who are undergoing painful chemotherapy. We are preparing for Eugene Fredericks to die. There are people in our congregation who don't have a diagnosis, but they know something is wrong. There are people in this room who have children who have walked away from the faith. People that long to be married. People that long to have children and don't have children despite years of trying. There are folks in our congregation who simply want a friend and feel extraordinarily lonely. There are people whose sinful desires need to be mortified on a daily basis. There are people here who doubt. There are people here who are angry, people who resent God. What if you engaged each of those situations with gratitude? Live with an expectation that God is at work even if you can't see it. Give a preemptive thanksgiving to God. For the way that he is at work in your life and through your life and around you. Believe God's promise that everything in this life somehow, some way does work for your good. Even if it seems impossible right now. Respond to that good news. With actions that communicate to God and to people around you that you are truly thankful. Hear me. If you don't, if you don't choose gratitude, by default you choose ingratitude. And ingratitude doesn't travel solo. Ingratitude brings with it bitterness. Ingratitude brings with it anger, resentment, revenge, hopelessness, and ultimately unbelief. Friends, you have to make a choice for gratitude. This week, as I was preparing for the sermon, I came across something that I thought was obvious, but apparently secular psychologists think that it's remarkable. They have studied thousands and thousands and thousands of people and they have discovered that the most joyful people in life are also the most grateful people in life. They're shocked, shocked I tell you. In fact, there is an inextricable link in their research between a life filled with joy and a life of gratitude. I asked, a moment, I asked you a moment ago to take a diagnostic. Do you do everything with thanksgiving to God? Let me ask you a different diagnostic question. Are you a joyful person? If you're not, dig a little bit deeper this week in your heart and ask yourself, well, am I practicing gratitude? Again, gratitude is not just feeling thankful. Gratitude is actually giving thanks by what you do in word and deed. And here's the double benefit. You're not just obeying God. You're not just obeying a biblical command. Your life is going to be filled with joy too. I'm going to say something that some of you are going to misunderstand, so please pay very careful attention. The church depends on your support, but I don't want it if it doesn't come out of a place of gratitude. If you don't give to the church, we shut the doors. Missionaries don't get support. Pastors don't get paid. But I don't want your support if it's not coming out of gratitude. Paul tells Timothy that God loves a cheerful giver. If you can't give to the church with gratitude, in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, if that can't describe your giving to the church, then friends, I wonder if there is anything in your life that you can do out of gratitude to God. Are you able to express gratitude to God in your life? What's stopping you from living a life of gratitude? Are you disappointed that God hasn't come through for you in some way? Are you frustrated that your life isn't turning out the way that you thought it should be? Maybe it's just unbelief. You work hard for everything that you've got. Why should I give thanks to God? Or maybe it's fear. You have carefully constructed a sandcastle of resources that you trust in and the storm is bearing down on you. Can you trust God to provide for you where you have thought it was all up to you? Friends, give gratitude a chance. It is the supernatural result of God's gracious work in you and through you by Christ alone. Our psychologists tell us it's going to give you joy. Our friends and our neighbors need it. They need everything you do in word or deed to be done, not in your own name, to be done not for your own good, to be done not to achieve your own agenda, but to be done in the name of Jesus, out of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Father, any time that we are brought face to face with your law, we are reminded of all the ways that we fail to keep it. And yet, Lord, you never give us bare law. It is always given within the context of who you are and what you have done for us and now who we are. So, Lord, help us to believe your promises that we are someone new in Christ. And then, Father, give us the courage, give us the strength, and give us the opportunities in everything that we do or say to live a life of gratitude. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.